Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball, and today it's my absolute pleasure to welcome the author of two novels and 17 books of poetry, uh, the most recent of which is Liquid Nitrogen, published by Giramondo. Jennifer Maiden, welcome. Um, thank you, Magdalena. Um, uh, you asked me if I would start with um, a poem called My Heart Has an Embassy, and uh, um, which is partly about Julian Assange, and um, it's um, uh, a short poem. I'll read it for you. It's called My Heart Has an Embassy. My heart has an embassy for Ecuador where I will seek asylum. Earthquakes and aftershocks undermine my hope and my means to work. And the Americans have wormed into my psyche with their black knack at fear. My heart has an embassy for Ecuador as rare in air and sumptuous as the Andes, as clear as the equator. There will be in it waterfalls and jungles like salvation. There will be friends whom I owe nothing, no famed bale, no knotty knowing sexualities. My heart has an embassy for Ecuador, where there will be no secrets and the truth falls down like water from giant granites of despair. So tell me a little bit more about that poem. Um, well it's um it's um it's it's meant to be a lyric. It's meant to be easy, easily accessible, um, and it has two voices. One is my own voice, um, and um, and the other is um, a voice um, made in the poem for Julian Assange um, in, in the embassy in uh, Ecuador embassy in London. Um, and uh, part of the um, uh, uh, atmosphere of the poem is that the reader is actually obviously would know that this is Assange in, in the embassy in Ecuador, but it doesn't actually say so. Assange isn't mentioned in the poem at any point. Um, so it's assuming um, it's assuming a knowledge with the reader and a rapport with the reader initially in order for the poem to, uh, to be accessible. Mm. And Assange, he's, he is featured throughout the book. I mean, there are many people featured throughout mm. the book. It's a well-people book. <laughs> but, um, but Julian does come in. In, in different places as well. Yeah, he's one of the symbols in the book, one of the people in the book um, who, who represent an element in it. Um, um, one of the main themes in the book, as you know, is is, um, is uh, the digital theme, uh, the idea of poetry being digital. And um, Assange fits in with that uh, digital and the censorship of the digital work together in, in that regard. Um, um, one of the theses in the poetry is that um, uh, poetry is in fact digital and uh, uh, has exactly the same uh, basic um, cognitive structures as um, digital technology. In fact, it is digital technology. Um, mm. And um, that's why um, the early um, uh, means of communication um, by the bards and so on, uh, retelling history was in poetic form because it's... Um, uh, the digital technology is a form that's very easily accessible and mnemonic, you know, is, works with the memory. Um, and um, and you say, as, as such, is a form of digital technology. Mm. Yes, in the, in the Year of the Ox, you use this marvellous phrase, poetry is digital technology, that, history is digital. That's right, yes, yes, that's correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and do, do we read it? I mean, you, you've written prose, you've written poetry. Mm -hmm. Um, they're quite different from a reader's point of view, aren't they? Do you think sometimes people mistakenly attempt to read poetry, and, and maybe even yours in particular, um, as prose? Um, 
might even be the reverse. Um, I, I think it, I think it might be that uh, people actually take on a special attitude for reading poetry and think they have to read it differently um, to praise um, and tie themselves up in knots as a result. I, I think it's um, the digital technology in poetry carries itself and communicates itself to the reader, um, and prose has a different function. I, um, in an extreme form, you could say that prose is analog and poetry is digital. Um, but um, I, I, I don't, um, I don't, um, I don't think there's a need to um, to uh, approach poetry as different because it will, it will actually, you know, convey its difference by itself. It, it, it hooks in immediately. It's actually a much more accessible form to to prose once the reader than prose once the reader relaxes. Um, mm. So. Um, Prose is a more difficult form because it, it's um, it's not as it's not as biological, it's not as physical. Um, whereas poetry will just just work for you and and, and carry you with it. It's um, you know it's it's a difference again between digital technology and analog technology too. I think. Mm, that's quite an interesting way of looking at it as well. There's there's definitely a thesis in that. Mm-hmm. If one hasn't already been written, which. Perhaps it has. No, I um, don't think it. I think I think it's mine. I think every every time I do that, when people say, you know, who who does it come from, and I say, well, it does come from me. I haven't heard anyone else say it. Yes, that's right. <laughs> well, if you're ever looking for, you know, means to a doctorate, I suppose that's the one. <laughs> I'm not too old for that. No, I'm not really an academic. <laughs> now, tell me, the collection itself. It, you can read each poem individually, um, and and indeed, I did initially read them that way, but. They they do have a cumulative effect. Yes, they're meant to do that. Um, uh, one of the things they do um, for me as, as an author is is um, because you've got a public and a private a- a aspect in them as as it goes on. Um, what did that? What each time I do the public aspect, it intensifies my ability to do a private revelation. And the same with the private revelation, it then increases my ability to do a public analysis. So there's actually a cumulative building effect right through um, the work, uh, hopefully getting deeper and deeper as time goes on. Mm. Yes, I mean, do you find that there are a couple of overarching themes that you're returning to repeatedly through the poem, or through the many poems in the book? Um, well, there is the... Um, one of the structures, one of the themes, is the idea of um, of poetry, you know, as in the title, liquid nitrogen, being a, a medium uh, in which um, uh, conversations and discussions uh, can be held um, safely, um, uh, which couldn't be held in, in another form. Um, that, that's why I tend to use. Um, um, a character who's inspired another character and let them have a dialogue together in the poem, such as Hillary Clinton and Eleanor Roosevelt, or um, or uh, you know Julia Gillard and Nye Bevan, except because they don't have a dialogue because she's too far gone. Um, but uh, um, uh, uh, Kevin Rudd and Dietrich Bonhoeffer on the airplane having a dialogue, uh, things like that. Um, um, I, I use the poetry a fair amount to let that happen, to let these the people whom they say have inspired them actually speak to them again. Mm. And that happens quite often in the poem, so that would be one theme that goes through. Yes. And and then I guess, as you mentioned, the, the whole notion of this preservation of of these people, I mean, mm. you know, Eleanor and, and Bevan, 
none of them are alive. So we, we're kind of preserving their voice in conjunction with people who are alive. That's correct. That's correct. Um, it does happen. Um, that's an interesting point because I've been thinking myself, um, uh, the person who's inspired the actual inspiree, <laughs> if you want to put it like that, uh, the inspired is... Um, uh, is is actually in all the palms dead, and I was just wondering if that needs to be necessary, uh, because it, well, I was thinking of maybe I could have Wayne Swan talking to Bruce Springsteen, um, <laughs> but but in actual fact it wouldn't work because um, well one of them's dead and the other one's Springsteen, um, but it, so it, it wouldn't it wouldn't work it wouldn't it 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 wouldn't the two of them being alive wouldn't work, um, one of them has to be dead yeah. But there's also this notion, I think, there, there is definitely that living in the dead, it, it, it's almost part of that dynamic. But yes. the mentor and the mentee as well, it's almost an uneasy relationship, you know, look at what I've wrought. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. Um, also, they have to have been invoked by the person. And there was actually a satire of my work, which I sort of could have done better myself, in... Um, in um, Overland, I think, and it missed the point because it had me talking to Julia Gillard, and that doesn't, or trying to talk to Julia Gillard unsuccessfully, and that doesn't actually work um, because I, Julia Gillard has never invoked me as an influence. So, so you actually have to have, <laughs> so, so you have to have, you have to have the, um, you have to have the person actually being invoked. It's almost like sort of having to ask the vampire in the door. You know, you know, you you actually have the person being invoked by the uh, person, and then I can do the palm. But they have to do that, um, and then you can then you can have the person sort of coming in and saying, "Well, you said I inspired you, but who are you, and uh, and uh, what have you done?" Yeah, as you say, hold them accountable. Yes, it, it would be quite interesting, I think, perhaps if uh, Julia Gillard invoked you as a as an influence. Um, yeah, well, there's still hope, I suppose. The book is very topical. Well, you, when, you, when, yeah, but then I'd have to be dead, which isn't good either, is it? So, um, no, that's true. That's no. true. Um, so, yeah. Um, Any poet would do, though. It could be Dorothy Porter. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, I don't, poor Dot. I don't. I don't. Uh, don't know if she'd want to be invoked by Julia Gillard. Though it's it's not that likely. No. Um, but yeah, you could do that. Um, but yeah, so there there have to be conditions about it. There have to be, yeah, as you say, the liquid nitrogen element. You know, it it means that one of them is is woken up. It's not alive, and they're being they're woken up, and they talk to the person who exists. Um, uh, that they inspired them. So, um, do, do you find yourself inspired by you, you know the the events? Do you watch the news and think, oh, this this is something I need to write about? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, uh, within certain things, I think it's possible that um, something has to be within themes that I'm already doing, and then it then I think, oh, that's within a theme I'm already doing. I can do that. And then, you know, blessedly, every now and then somebody actually says somebody's inspired them, like Bob Carr and uh, Senator Robert Byrd or something like that. And then I think, yes, thank you. <laughs> I can use that, you know. Yes. Um, so, so how did the book come, how did this particular one come about as a collection? Did you begin with the overarching theme of the liquid nitrogen? Um, yes, I think I did very early in the piece um, because the... Um, uh, well, the actual theme of the poetry is digital technology began with the Year of the Ox, which is the first poem. Um, which was actually a recent first, the long poem. 
Um, but the liquid nitrogen idea came pretty quickly after that, so and it fits in completely with that. So it's because you've, you've already got the dialogues that I've written in earlier books between different characters. Mm. Uh, yes, I, I would love to get you to read Karen A, but it's um, a Karina, but it's a little bit long. So um, <laughs> I'm going to get you to read another one that has uh, universes colliding. Mm-hmm. So one of the poems, um, which is quite different to the others, um, but it does pick up on on these kind of um, space themes, mm-hmm. is Emerald Cut. Mm-hmm. One of the things it's different with is there's no other characters other than the poetic eye mm-hmm. in that one. Okay. Can, um, can you read this? Yeah, this is, um, again, this is a use of the lyrical. Um, um, another theme in the book is the um, the pursuit of the lyrical. So, um uh, this is a, a way of looking at it. This is about the Nepean River, Emerald Cut. Alexandrian Turquoise. The Nepean tends to that hue after sunset, sky blue if the sky were the true colour of, of an Egyptian goddess, semi-precious. In astronomy, the new galaxy this week is tiny, the shape of a lozenge, they say, like an emerald cut diamond. But emerald cut looks innocent, clear, through in the centre with no bright light shaking facets. The river looks innocent like that, a deadly reassurance in its mirror. Another person drowned in it this week, Yaramundi. Yes, dear, you must be one of the world's most lethal rivers. In astronomy, when our galaxy crashes into Andromeda billions of light years in the future, we will look like an emerald cut, probably, they say. Warragamba Dam water floods weeds to Hawkesbury. So the emerald cut shines smooth and fine and chill as liquid nitrogen again. Here from the dead damn depths under uh, it's the goddess turquoise like semi-precious sky, like any shattered sun to shine, like water diamonds, like all resonance is private but returns, a public habit flying it is mine. Mm. So talk to me a little bit about that one. Um, yeah, okay. Um, it, uh, it uses the dialogue form again, but this time the dialogue is with the river itself. Um, and it's, um, it's, I suppose, again, it's pointing out that the, um, there's a very dead, deadly quality in lyricism. And it, um, uh, also it is linking in with the other themes in the book, the, um, uh, the, uh, uh, sort of galactic qualities and the, and the sort of um, uh, um, um, yeah, I think I think it's basically another it's another look at the river in the sense of it it is deadly, it's lethal, it's um it's it's um it's a force unto itself. Um, it's quite female, isn't it? This poem. Hmm. The river is female. Why do you think it's female? Well, maybe it's just the use of the word dear <laughs> as you address it. Mm. And the, the Egyptian goddess that it's... Yeah, yeah, the uh, the Egyptian goddess. Oh. That's the, um, the color of an Egyptian goddess. Yeah, there's that. Um, yeah, um... Another thing it picks up from other poems is this notion of the revenant, the you know visible thing ghost. coming back. Yeah, the, the yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah, the book is a, yeah. There's that in there. It links in with the other poems in the book. Um, yes. Hmm. 
I, I, the female thing interests me from the point of the digital because um, I, I'm a little worried that um, the digital is sort of being ghettoized as as um, um, as female, which um, I, I I have a suspicion of that. I I, I got a bit worried about that um, the um, uh, uh, business of um, of Gillard apparently supposed to appeal to sort of you know all these sort of digital uh, women bloggers and so on, um, you know, which was a sort of pretty sort of cynical sort of exploitation of, of that theme. Um, so I'm a bit concerned about using the digital in, in that in in the relation to the female. I, I'm not not quite sure about that one. Um, um, what did you think about that? What did you this idea that that there's that there was a sort of feminist out digital outcry about uh, about Gillard's um, Speak against Abbott. Yeah. Oh, gee. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I can't really think of technology in masculine and feminine terms. No, no. I, that's my problem. I, I, I have it. it it's too intrinsic for that. It's too, it's too deep and intrinsic. It's like saying poetry is female or male. You know, it, it's not. It's, and uh, the idea that there's some sort of, as I said, it seems to me like ghettoisation of. Um, um, of both of digital technology and of women to to say that there's some sort of underclass of women who sort of responded to that speech. I, I'm not, you know. I'm yes, very concerned about that. I thought it was quite patronising. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. Oh. I mean, going back to the poem, though, and I can't tell you precisely why I feel this, but there is a certain quality in it and in much of your work oh. that is parenting-related. Almost as if it's like a, a mother-daughter type of thing going on. Perhaps it's the last line, which I find quite evocative and, and yet tricky as well at the same time. The um, all revenants is private but returns a public habit lying in mm, his mind. Yeah, it's saying. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think. I think it's saying be careful of the authorial voice. That's one of the things it's saying. Uh, because um, um, you've you've yeah, it, it's. So, yeah, sometimes when when you've got the voice in in the palms, it is it isn't actually um, uh, the voices are not my voices. In t they are voices are part of the brain, obviously, but they're not my voices as such. Um, so I I think any of the public voices in 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 the work are are as far as I can make it the voice of the character. Um, yeah. So so possibly there's that. Um, also, there's the um, um, there's a sense of the river. Not not uh, 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 people have a sense of ownership about rivers or a sense of ownership about geography, um, which isn't accurate. The, the geography belongs to no one. Now, there's a wonderful line. Um, uh, I can I, we can never tame the wild reality, and um, uh, and. Uh, Nothing physical belongs to us, of course, and, and particularly not rivers or um, uh, landscapes and so on. So it's 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 that it's it, it's a caution against feeling an ownership about the river. Also, from the point of view of the river, looking quite lyrical and beautiful and actually being incredibly deadly. Mm. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's George Jeffries and Claire Collins. Um, they're an interesting pair as well. I know Claire has come back from your novel Play with Knives. Mm -hmm. Uh, and she's the same in name and appearance. But is she? Do you, do you see her as a new character in this 
No, rock. no, she's the. Um, uh, it's um, it's something of a conceit to um, um, for the reader. They don't not have to have any previous knowledge of these characters in order to read the poems, um, and they they can be told that the characters were happened earlier, and that doesn't really matter. If they've read, fine. If they happen to have read the earlier works, you know, the poems or the. Um, uh, novels that feature them, but if they haven't read them, it doesn't really matter. It's a, it's a, um, it's part of the conceit of the poem that um, that uh, or the um, the contrived mutuality of the poem that uh, uh, that uh, the reader knows these characters from earlier, but they don't have to know them from earlier. And um, in fact, a lot of people just read them; they don't know the characters from earlier, and it doesn't really matter. Um, mm. But they are the same characters. They are, they are, as far as I can make them, a, um, a continuation of the same characters. Obviously, they've grown and they're different uh, to what they were at the beginning. Well, they're older, of course, as well. Yeah, and Claire, mm. Claire is particularly interesting, and, and George himself makes comparisons between Claire and, and Julian Assange as well. Oh, that's right. That's the white hair, though. I mean, that was that was just that, some of that's just a bit of fun because. Um, uh, I, I, there's probably isn't that much similar. Well, there's probably some physical similarities between Claire and Assange because they're sort of um, both beautiful little white-headed people. Um, but um, uh, I, that was just fortuitous. I think there was a, there was some Assange poems, you know, because of the attack on the um, on digital technology, freedom of speech, and so on, um, associated uh, with with people uh, persecuting Assange, and. Um, and uh, and also the fact that Claire just happens to I thought it looked like Assange, which was quite a coincidence. So it wasn't, and, and so George plays on that. And also her mannerisms are are, are like his too, which is. Uh, but yeah, I think if you read the earlier work, they were already like his before Assange came on the scene. She was already she was already the white-haired girl before he was the white-haired uh, man. Yes, yes, and she's in trouble a lot as well. Oh, she's in trouble a lot, but I'm not the same sort of trouble, I am. No, that's true. That's true. Um, another thing the poems do, and, and certainly there's humor throughout the book, you know, huge, huge amounts of humor. But many of the poems reference themselves, moving quite neatly, really, between the public oratory, mm. uh, as you talked about before, and this private humorous commentary mm. on, the, on the nature of the poem itself. Mm. Yes, um, Circling the High Notes is one that has uh, quite a lot of metapoetics in it. Uh, Would you read that one to us? Yes, I'll just go and find it. Just a second. It's 73. Thank you. Okay, yeah, circling the high notes. Rosa Poncel, the American soprano, whom Carlos called the best of us all, would circle the score's high notes in advance, her pen carving an obsessive apprehension. The most Poncelian beautiful note in nature, sweet, sword keen, but dark, is that of an alarmed blackbird, chink, chink, chinking to, chinking to defend his territory. Who'd fear it? His love notes are not so perfect. He whistles with the breathy effort of a woman whistling inwards, but even there there is cadence. There is a sense of strain in the notes of a blackbird upon cell, which is interesting in that the lyric doesn't require smoothness at its best. I would hope I do not require smoothness at my best as I circle the advancing high notes. The bell from the pure blackbird's beak is bitterly clear with ownership. Never too near, it edges proud with fear, just display at times, but stabs the notes with reproof, with resignation. 
And I see that one. I, I almost see it as a metaphor for the writing process. Did, did you feel that? Is that was that your intent? Well, it's um, it, perhaps not a metaphor. I mean, perhaps maybe more direct than that. I'm a bit suspicious of metaphor. I like metaphor, but I'm a bit um, worried about metapoetics in general because um, the poem can can once you, once the poem is seen as a metaphor of itself, it's um, uh, it can exclude a lot of other sort of broad terms of reference and and um, and general processes. Um, uh, the problem with, with poetry in general is it's seen as either being metaphoric or um, or descriptive, um, representational. And um, my poetry actually isn't quite either. It, it, it's more active. And I, and even though it does use obviously representational sort of techniques and descriptive techniques and metaphor, and um, but I, 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 I don't actually like the idea of the poem being caught up too much in metaphor. So um, it, it's probably more direct, I think. It's when 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 it's uh, it is actually when I'm saying um, um, I hope I would I do not require smoothness at my best as as I circle the advancing high notes. I mean that's not actually metaphor. That's direct statement. So mm-hmm. I think I think it's com- probably comparison more than metaphor. Probably saying yes, there is this process that I recognise in Poncel where she's terrified of the high notes, but achieve them um but achieve them with a certain roughness like the blackbird um and i think i achieve my high notes my intense lyricism with a certain roughness as well and it's it's a relief that that roughness isn't um uh isn't a problem that it can you know that that the best of of um lyric artists can actually still be rough in fact roughness is a big part of the process so um and that means one can relax and have a certain roughness um, and still achieve the high notes. So. But I think that's more simile and, and more 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 a interweaving of pros of, of the same process in different areas rather than actually metaphor. I think. Yes. Well, I, I suppose you could say that. I mean, high notes, of course, is a song, and you, we're comparing poetry to song in that metaphoric sense. But perhaps there is a, a literal. Um, Link with music mm. in this as well. well you know, I, there is used direct music. I, I'm inclined to think lyricism is lyricism, whatever form it takes. So you've got a you've got an intensification of of beauty and physical form rendered in an artistic form. And I think that's probably much the, the effect is probably much the same. The and the methods of achievement are probably much the same in poetry as, as they are in 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 other art forms. Um, mm. So again, I'm, I'm not. Um, I, which is actually probably one of the things I was saying in the poem too. Yes, yes, that's true. So um, with so many poetry collections, um, for a while there it looked like one a year and, and two novels. You're relatively prolific, I mean, at least compared to me. Um, t- tell me about your writing schedule. What's it like for you? I write when I can. Um, I. Um, I, I basically have some periods when I don't write and then I'll settle down for months on end and, and try and get a, 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 a probably finished poem a week. I write very quickly when I write and I don't rewrite. Um, so I rewrite very intensely when I write the poem and then it's finished. Um, I don't go back to it even a week later or a month later. Um, unless there's some reason for that, if there's sort of, if I've got some fact wrong or 
Um, I've actually got some. I've actually said something I didn't mean to say, which happens with all writers. Um, I uh, then I'll go back and correct that. But apart from that, I don't really write. I don't have any manuscripts lying around that I that I sort of come back to six months later or something like that. I fin I finish the work and then I go into something else. Hmm. And, and do you do you write with a when you're writing poetry? Do you write with a specific collection in mind always, or is it do you sometimes just write and then see what happens? Um. Well, this this one in particular was a specific collection because, as I said, as soon as I'd done pretty much as soon as I'd done the year of the ox palm, which was the first one, I, I knew I was going to work them together into the liquid nitrogen um, sequence. So I I knew I was doing liquid nitrogen when I wrote most of the palms. And I knew what I was doing. I knew I was putting them together, and they were going to build off each other, and that they were go- that they were working and building together. So in in this one, I did it was a complete collection I was writing. And you knew when you were finished too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on the last one, on the well within fire ground, yeah, I, I knew that was because uh, as you can see, it's um it's a palm that uh, winds things up a little and uh, it, it, it hopefully it's a sort of satisfying conclusion where you've got um, an element being um. Uh, being fought by a, a fictional character based on a, a real character, um, and also, but there are literary discussions within it. There's a, there's a discussion about literary plots and political plots and so on being wound to a conclusion within it. So that's the last yeah. that's the last poem. Uh, yes. it, it follows the Assange, which is um, uh, well, the Assange is actually very lyrical. I mean, if, if the achievement of the lyrical is one of the themes in the book, the, the Assange poem is actually uh, meant to be that. It's um, it's meant to be a directly accessible lyrical poem, which which one wouldn't expect, I think, about that same. Mm. And, and I have to ask you about the cover of the book. Was that your decision? To... Yes. Yeah. I, I um. Yeah, I sent them to the um. I, I sent them to the NASA site to have a look at the pictures on that. Yes, it's wonderful. It does tie everything together too. I mean, you, you get the sense of the, the, you know, the bigness of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's a beautiful picture. It's um, but there's some gorgeous pictures on that NASA side, lovely ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And they let you, and they use gorgeous site. You can just have a look at it for ages. Yes, right. It's a it's a pretty good source of inspiration. Yeah, and um, and also they let you use it all, which is lovely of them. You know. It's sort of um, they say all over it that they don't want copyright providing you sort of just tell them you do it. So it's very nice. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> so are you working on something at the moment that you can tell us about? Um, no, I'm going to start a new uh, new collection soon. I'm just like, thinking about ideas for it and, and what to do. Uh, and watching the news, I take it. <laughs> um, yeah, watching the news. Um, n- not always, though. They're not always news-based. Um, um I was thinking of maybe doing Tony Abbott and um, and the person who inspired him, but um, that's Santa Maria, so I didn't think that would work too well. Maybe Abbott will say somebody else will inspired him, and I can have another go. I can have a go at Abbott. Yeah, you'll have to write him a letter or something to. to no, it's got to be public. They have to do it. They have to do it themselves. You see, they've got to do it to themselves before I can um, take advantage of it. Yes. Wonderful. Well, we're, we're nearly out of time. Um, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, and thanks, listeners, for returning each month. Yeah. This is the last show of the year, so happy holidays, everyone, and don't forget to return in 2013 when we have more shows and a new stellar lineup of guests. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.